The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Did John McAfee kill himself? Or was he whacked, as so many people seem to claim? Then we meet a man who's out in the wilderness waiting for some of his friends to arrive. Instead, he is greeted with a glowing orb shooting sparks in all directions. But the story gets even more bizarre when this hovering egg hatches. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got three days left until my vacation. That's more for me than for you. Um, I, I have to take a vacation every 50 episodes just to uh, keep the whole noggin joggin', the noggin joggin'. And we're past 50 episodes. I think this is episode 709, 708. It's a lot of work. <laughs> this show takes a lot of work. I need my break. But I got three more episodes to do. Three more episodes of really cool content for you guys. Again, I'm telling myself that. Don't give up, Jason. Just three more episodes. First off, coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Give it up for Medusa Buzzcut. Woo! Everyone give a round of applause to Medusa. Medusa, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. And even though I am taking a three-week, very, very well-deserved break, I'm actually traveling, going to the tropical country of Medici to help overthrow General Di Ravello. But um, before now that they know that I'm coming, now that they know to send the Bavarium tanks after me, while uh, I'm on vacation, I will have a special on July 18th. We are doing a July 18th alien invasion special. That is the day that some dude predicted seven years ago, he predicted aliens would invade July 18th. So we're coming up to that. So get your strawberry ice cream ready. Subscribe to my YouTube channel because it's going to be a YouTube live stream. I don't know exactly what time it's going to be yet, because that is I haven't worked those details out, but July 18th, Alien Invasion special, brought to you by A Quiet Place Part 2. And if you don't listen to the YouTube, if you don't want to watch it live, that's fine too. I'm actually going to upload the audio to the podcast. So if you guys just want to sit and listen to it at your leisure, that is that works too. So, no, no, you have to listen to it live. Afterwards, the aliens are going to destroy the planet. You want to be with me while that's happening. Medusa Buzzcut, I'm going to give you the keys to a new vehicle I just invented since I'm going to go on vacation soon. I'm going to toss you the keys to the Carpenter cruise ship. This is our festive This is our festive cruise ship. We're all going to be lounging around on decks, sipping Mai Tais, playing shuffleboard, while Medusa Buzzcut has an actual job. They have to be the captain of this ship. They now control a crew of about 100 people. Guys, kick back, relax. Let's take a trip across the ocean. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are heading on out to Barcelona, Spain. Bong. I had to come up with the sound effect real quick. I go, what noises do cruise ships make? And the sounds of hundreds of elderly people having fun. Or, you know, the horn. Mm, you're like, oh, that's what that sound was. I thought you were constipated. 
we pull up in the Carpenter Cruise. I already forgot the name of it. I totally forgot the name of it. I'll forget this vehicle exists after this episode. We pull up in the Carpenter Cruise ship. We we disembark in Barcelona, Spain. The reason why we're in Barcelona, Spain is because I'm sure most of you guys are familiar with this news. John McAfee, rogue outlaw, inventor, programmer, businessman. He's a very hyphenated individual. He's done a lot in his life. John McAfee, who's most famous, I think, for the McAfee antivirus, he died. I think we can at least say that he died. There's Actually, we can. There's some people who say that he's not dead, that he's faking the whole thing. But just a quick, quick overview. John McAfee was in a Spanish prison, and he was being held for tax evasion, tax charges. And what had happened is recently he... It was successful. The United States was trying to have him extradited to the United States to stand trial for tax evasion. He's been being held by the Spanish authorities until the stuff could get figured out. It was figured out. The U.S. won the extradition battle to actually have him sent over to the United States. And then he is found hanging in his cell. He's dead. Again, there's some people who say that he's faking the whole thing because he definitely had the money to kind of bribe officials and stuff like that. There are some people who are saying that he's faking the whole thing. But that's another conspiracy. That's another conspiracy. And we might look into that if it continues to grow. But right now, the big conspiracy theory about John McAfee is, did he hang himself or was he whacked? Was he hung by people who are trying to keep him silent? This is a really fascinating conspiracy theory, but not in the way people think it is. This is, this is fascinating. Here we go. John, Ma- this is the reason why people think John McAfee didn't kill himself. One, he said as late as December of last year, I will never, ever, ever kill myself. And then he got a tattoo on him that says whacked, has like the dollar sign and it says whacked. And he's like, if they come after me, it's because I got whacked. It's because I know too much and they're trying to silence me. And then he's found hanging in his cell. So the immediate reaction was, oh, dude, the people who got Epstein also got John McAfee. Like, he knew too much, and they had to silence him, so they hung him, and he tried warning us. He said he would never, ever commit suicide, and he had this tattoo called Wecked. And after he died, there's been all of this chatter about a dead man switch. With dead man switch is basically, it's kind of what it sounds like. Let's say I have a dead man switch. I might. I might, I might, but let's say I do have a dead man switch. And every week I have to enter a code into my computer. But if one week it goes by and I don't enter that code, my dead man switch is activated, which in a electronic sense would be tons of emails start going out with all sorts of encryption keys to high-level politicians and high-level journalists and things like that. So as long as I'm alive, the information that I've gathered, that I've told people I will keep secret is secret. But once I die, and that code goes a week without being entered, all of this information starts flooding out into the information place. What is that? I don't know. (laughs) The information sphere. It gets out. Your secrets get out. So after he died, there was a dead man switch that started going off, apparently. And like one of the codes was Epstein. So that kind of brought into it. So a lot of people are hanging their hat on that. He said he was never going to kill himself, and he dies, and it looks like it's suicide by hanging, and then this dead man switch goes off. But if that story is correct, if that if the dead man so this is what I don't understand about the dead man switch thing, he wouldn't be able to activate the dead man switch constantly in jail, anyways. 
So the dead man switch would have had to have been run by someone on the outside, which could do it whether or not... A dead man switch works when you die. I mean, I guess you could have a dead man switch and someone else hits the button. But it's not really a dead man switch. It's kind of a live man switch who waits for you to die. But anyway, so all this information... And I wanted to report on this earlier. I actually had done a segment on it last week. And I, you're like, really? I didn't hear that part. I edited it out. I took it out before... I released the episode because we didn't have enough information, really. And the Dead Man Switch had just been activated. We were just seeing this information drop. And in that segment, I said, I really don't think anything's going to come of this. And here we are a week later, and the Dead Man Switch is still being investigated. But there's been no massive Epstein-level bombshells. Nothing's really been dropped like that. And that brings me back to my main argument with this. I believe that John McAfee killed himself. Before you shut off the podcast, I have a reason why I think he did that that no one else is talking about. And I'm a little I'm a little perturbed that no one else is talking about it. But I think that John McAfee killed himself. But let me explain. Let me explain this. And then I'll get to why I think him killing himself is far more interesting than the whacked tattoo and the Epstein connection and the dead man switch, which has not revealed any major bombshells right now. First off, this is really sad to say, and I'm not saying this to be mean or anything like that, but first off, suicide is not... It's super interesting. I was doing a bunch of research on this for a topic a while ago. Suicide, committing suicide is a... It's not something that everybody does. I was always under the impression that any single person put under enough stress can kill themselves. And that's partially true. But some people are far more inclined to kill themselves. We don't know if it's genetic, but we do see that it runs in bloodlines. It runs in families. Let's say that someone kills themselves, and then 10 years later, their niece kills himself, and then four years later, her brother kills him. You know what I mean? Like, we'll see it run through bloodlines. There are people who suffer such extreme, extreme events that they take their own lives But, like, 95% of people who kill themselves are predisposed to suicide. I actually think I did do a a subject. I'll I'll see if I check through the notes. I think I covered it more on an episode. But, yeah, it is. There are people who are just predisposed to killing themselves. It's rare. It statistically is rare when someone has no connection to committing suicide, suicidal ideation, anything like that. And then event after event after event after event happens to them and they kill themselves. That's not the statistics. That's what we see in movies and that's the story that we think is true. 95% of people who kill themselves are actually predisposed to suicide. His dad killed himself. So when I saw that, I go, well, that that's a huge... That is a huge... I'm not saying that just because... I've had a friend whose father killed himself, right? I'm not saying that that is the... Oh, well, I guess he killed himself then. But that is a signifier. And you can't deny that. You can't deny that because suicide is a... We don't know if it is genetic, but people are kind of leaning that way. Doesn't mean if someone in your family has killed themselves that you are going to kill yourself. Just means there's a higher likelihood of it. So we have that, which to me, I did read that and I go, well, that is that is a pretty big thing. But the other thing is M- McAfee was never, ever, and I followed McAfee for a while. Like, I remember he first came out on my radar when he was under a, under suspicion for murdering his neighbor. He was living in Central America, South America. 
He murdered his neighbor, and I remember following that case, and he beat it. He, they were never able to prove that he murdered this guy. And he's always been a almost ran. Like, you could almost sense, like, him and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, they always want to be this Hank Scorpio-type character. If you don't know who that is, it's this character from The Simpsons who's this seems like a super congenial billionaire inventor philanthropist, but he's also a supervillain. And it seems like they all kind of saw that episode and they kind of patterned their life after Hank Scorpio. But John McAfee always seemed like an almost ran. In in the conspiracy theory community, he w- people knew who Epstein was after his first arrest. Like Epstein, maybe if you were really deep in conspiracy theory and you were connected. You knew a lot about him before it came out, before he got connected to all this stuff. But after his first arrest, he was arrested twice. A lot of people don't know that. And he beat the charges. You have that going on. He was a huge threat, right? He knew about everyone. He knew about tons of people who have been named and a lot of people who have not been named. A lot of very, very powerful people that have not come out during this whole Epstein Me Too scandal. He has all that info. So Epstein was 100% a target. Who would John McAfee know? John McAfee apparently, like, mingled more with, like, common gang members and stuff like that. Like, apparently he was, I I read this story that he was dating this woman, and the local mob was trying to get her to poison him, but she's like, no, I don't want to. She could be making that story up. We don't know. He didn't get poisoned, but so he did have, like, he was probably pushing people's buttons, but he was nowhere on the level of an Epstein threat, where he's hobnobbing with presidents, he's hobnobbing with royalty, he's hobnobbing with Hollywood. John McAfee looked unkempt in every single photo I've ever seen him in. So while he may have been a threat to some people, him getting extradited to the United States, how are they really going to lean on this guy? Now, Behind, now, to be fair, behind the scenes, I said no one really knew in the general community what Epstein was up to until that first arrest. It's possible that John McAfee was super connected to all these world leaders and this stuff would have come out. But we have no hints of that. Even when I'm reading this stuff about the Dead Man Switch, which now it's been a week and we're not seeing these bombshells, there is never like, oh, and he was tied to this politician and high-level politician. I'm sure he hobnobbed with some state representatives or something like that, but... Not for a while, the guy always looked dirty, but here is the thing, and this is what I find so interesting that no one else is talking about, at least that I've seen. The main thing John McAfee is known about in the conspiracy theory community, we talked about him before on this show, I believe, is quantum immortality. He very, very famously, during an interview with Vice or uh, Vanity Fair or somebody, when he was in his tropical home, this was years ago, he played Russian roulette with a revolver. Obviously, you don't do it with a bow and arrow. You don't do it with a semi-automatic. Playing Russian roulette. And he's saying, he's going through the spiel about quantum immortality. Quantum suicide. And he goes, there's one bullet in this gun. I will never die. I'm going to put this gun in my head and I'm going to pull the trigger. And the bullet will not go through my brain because I cannot exist in a timeline where I don't exist. I will shift to a timeline where I do exist. I will continue to exist. Very, very famous interview. And the reporter sat there and the guy clicked the gun, maybe more than once, I, my, I don't remember. But it was to prove that he had no fear that he would just slide into another timeline. When he first died, I saw people saying, oh no, we're in the worst timeline now. We're in the timeline where John McAfee died. And I thought that was an interesting comment. But then they didn't continue on the thread. This is what I think happened, honestly. This is what I think happened. I think John McAfee killed himself, 
But in his mind, he was just sliding to an alternate reality where he wasn't in jail. Or where the extradition trial hadn't worked. I think that's what happened. I think that he didn't kill himself out of utter despair. He didn't kill himself out of unending torment or pain or anything like that. Or an underlying mental illness or all of those put together. He believes in quantum suicide. He believes the fact that if I die in this reality, I'll shift to another reality where things work out for me. The problem is, is that quantum suicide, quantum immortality, it doesn't, it's a, it's a theory and it does, it's a theory. It's interesting from a sci-fi angle, but it doesn't hold any water whatsoever. When I did the episode on it, it was probably about a year or two ago, I did this episode. This was my this is my problem with it. Let's say that it let's say that it works, right? That means that no one ever dies. The thought process is is that you can't perceive a reality where you don't exist. So as a concept of quantum immortality, we've all had close brushes with death. Whoa, I should have died there, but I didn't, and it does feel kind of weird. And we've covered stories like that, like do you die or do you shift to another reality? Interesting theory. The problem is is that we all get old. We see that around us. We felt our own bodies getting older. So if you can put a gun to your head, don't do this, don't do this, but if you put a gun to your head and you pull the trigger, and in this reality, your brains spray all over the wall, but you go to a reality where the trigger doesn't pull, where the bullet's a dud, where the gun turns to cheese in your hands, whatever. Interesting theory. But what happens when you're 95 and you're bedridden and you can't die? You're hooked up to all these devices and you have a heart attack and you shift to another reality where you're hooked up to all these devices and you're still in this bed and you have a heart attack and you're shifting to another reality where you're 95 years old and you're still in this bed and you have another heart attack and you shift into this reality. Like that would be hell. And that it could, you could be like, well, I'll just work out. I'm going through all these quantum realities. I'll keep working out. I'll be fit. Fine. You're 107. And you're in bed, hooked up to all these machines. You go, I want, do not resuscitate on myself. Okay, fine, you're in the ER, and they say, well, we can't resuscitate you, and you die on the operating table. You shift to another reality where you're on that operating table. You die on that operating table. Like, it would just keep happening over and over and over and over again. If quantum, and let's say that you're 95, and you shift to a reality where you did take better care of your body. Now you're no longer hooked up to all these machines. You're 95. You're sitting at home, surrounded by your family. Well, guess what? You're still going to turn 96 soon. And this is forever. You're just going to keep getting older. And maybe you shift to a reality where you're slightly more healthy and you live a little bit longer. But eventually, you're just going to be skeletal husk, having stroke after stroke after stroke after stroke after stroke and shifting each time you do. That's hellish. And the idea of quantum immortality, it's interesting when you're 33 years old and you almost get hit by a car. And you go, whoa, I mean, I should have died. Maybe I died in an alternate reality. That's not an interesting thought when you're begging for death. So I personally think John McAfee killed himself on two levels. One, he could have just been predisposed to suicide. And he wanted to go out a legend. Now people are always going to be talking about him. If he had just died or had an aneurysm or something else had happened to him, people would have been like, people would have totally forgotten about him. He is now like Forrest Finn. He's etched his name into conspiracy theory content. 
People people will mention McAfee next to Epstein. Conspiracy people will. Normal people aren't talking about this. People aren't making mugs that say McAfee didn't kill himself. Nobody really cares because he he wasn't as big as a character in real life, I think, as he thought he was. But there is a there will be a core contingent who will hold McAfee up to Epstein, even though I don't think that that's true. Also, why would you want to be held up to Epstein? He either killed himself because he was unfortunately predisposed to suicide and put all these breadcrumbs out saying that he would never kill himself and got the tattoo that said whacked and know that, well, if I kill myself, I'll just become famous like Epstein became famous because most people didn't know who Epstein was really until the controversy over the second arrest and then him killing himself shortly after. Or this guy said, well, I believe that if I die, I'll just shift to another reality. So I'm just going to hang myself and shift to the other reality. And while that is an interesting theory on a sci-fi level, I don't think it works in reality. I mean, who knows, right? We don't know what happens after you die. But to me, if quantum immortality, quantum suicide is real, that is a very, very hellish and dark future to think you're just going to be perpetually alive and getting older no matter what you do or no matter what fate does to you. You just shift to another reality where you're slightly more alive than you were before. John, I wish you the best. Wherever you're at, obviously, it's tragic that this happened. See, that's the thing. Even tax evasion charges, what he would have done some Wesley Snipes time. Would have done like six years and would have been out. The, it, it, it's an interesting story. It's a tragic story that it ends. I wish him the best wherever he's at. If the quantum suicide thing works, obviously, that's the best case scenario. He is still somewhere else. I guess the best case scenario is that he faked his death, which we do have to keep that option on the table. But... Medusa Buzzcut, we are leaving behind Barcelona, Spain. We are headed out to Newton Falls, Ohio. <laughs> Medusa Buzzcut takes us out to Newton Falls on the Carpenter Copter. We're specifically headed to the Ma O'Ning River. It's a warm summer night in 1972. It's 10 p.m. Terry Osnick is standing at the Mahaning River. He's there to meet three friends. I've never been to this place. I very rarely leave the state. But if you guys are familiar with Newton Falls, apparently there's two... This sounds pretty spooky and dope. There's two cemeteries. And then there's a river. And then there's a bridge that goes from one cemetery to the other. So that's kind of cool, right? Like, you can go, you can visit all these dead people. And then you're like, hey, I wonder who died over there. And then you walk across the bridge. But then I would think, like, the river is, you know, shh going doing its water stuff and you figure it'd start eroding everything and then eventually like bodies would be rolling down the hill stuff like that and you're like jason we planted people the newton falls the newton falls people the newton falls city council listen to this podcast all seven of them they're like we planned it out a little better than that jason i know you imagine like this spooky spooky cemetery from a bernstein bear book but no it's not there's like stuff or, or maybe their eyes are shifting side to side they're like uh-oh he knows our secret. Maybe it's all... Yeah, why would you have a river going through cemeteries? Super spooky. And let me back up. Cemeteries aren't normally built on whether or not they're spooky or not. I don't think the city council of Newton Falls is like, we should put it here, but oh no, that's too spooky. Water has a really big thing with attracting ghosts. When you look at all sorts of lore all over the world, we see water, especially running water, and ghosts highly connected, and then bridges too. Anyways, he's there to meet his friends. I don't think they're going to hang out there and discuss water erosion tables. I think they're just meeting up in the middle of nowhere. But Terry Ozenick is waiting there to meet his three friends. And he hears his buddies crossing the bridge. 
he looks over at him and he's like waving. He's like, hey guys, over here. I'm over at I'm over at the less spooky cemetery. This one all has 50% less ghosts. Is these friends are getting possessed over there? No, he's looking at his friends, they're crossing this bridge, and he sees in the sky a glow. <laughs> He's looking into this glow, and inside of this glow in the night sky, this I have to figure out another word for glow, <laughs> otherwise I want to say glow for the rest of the episode. He looks up and he sees in the illumination a round, shiny ball. And it's shooting off sparks. It's about 30 feet above his friends. And he's panicking, obviously. He's like, what? No, this is supposed to be downtown today. Oh, no. He's looking at this evanescent. We're just going to start making up words at a certain point, but I know this is a real one. Evanescent orb floating above his friends, about 30 feet above his friends, and he is panicked. He doesn't know what to say, and he gets this feeling that it's scanning him. As he's standing there in the darkness, he feels like it is reading his soul. He said like it knew everything about him in an instant. Whatever this was could figure out who Terry Osnick was. And Terry Osnick is probably trying to figure out who Terry Osnick is. His entire body is enveloped in terror. And his friends look... This is something you only see in movies, right? You don't think people do this in real life. His friends see him shaking. His friends see him in pure fear. And they're like, hey, Terry, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I'm going to, he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know. He's, he's run out of words to describe glowing. He can't even focus in his brain to warn his friends what he's seen. So he just takes off running, right? He just leaves his friends. He goes running in the opposite direction of this bright orb in the sky. His friends begin to chase after him. They still don't know what's going on, but they just see their friend had been startled by something. They are they are in two spooky cemeteries on a cursed bridge. So they go chasing after him. As he's running away from this and his friends are running behind him, Terry, stop! Hold up! What's wrong, buddy? He turns around and the shiny, shiny orb is gone. It's been replaced by what he can only describe as a dragon in the shape of the Scottish flag. It's not flat, it's not a rectangle, but you know what I mean? Like those old, classic European-type dragons that almost looks like has lion feet and has like the long neck, and he says he sees this dragon in the night sky. It's hovering there, and just all around it, sparks. Shooting from its body. Him and his friends quickly leave the scene. Now, his friends never saw this thing. They left the scene because he left the scene. And because he was so terrified, they knew something was wrong. They didn't, they thought something might have been wrong with him. Chasing him down, make sure he didn't get hurt. But he told him this story. After things calmed down, after things calmed down, after he's in the emergency room and they're giving him all the Xanax, he's like, oh man, you guys won't believe what I saw. And the doctor, the doctor's like, oh, we might want to keep him here for a while. He tells them that he sees this orb in the sky. It gave off a light. And then the Scottish dragon appeared. And the friends believe him because they know he saw something. This story's really interesting to me. Obviously, I'm telling on the show and I'm telling boring stuff. 
But it's because the story is so visually weird. The glowing orb, we come across that all the time. We come across that so often in UFO lore. I don't cover it. When I look at stories and it's like lights in the sky, I don't cover it for a couple of reasons. One, it's really hard to just talk about lights in the sky on a podcast unless you can see it. And two, it can be anything. It's so mundane. It can be anything. But when you have... This is what is so interesting about this story. I talk about this all the time on the show, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But I talk about the lore, what we expect from UFO stories, what we expect from ghost stories. Sometimes they blur. We covered one earlier, I think it was late last week, about four ghosts and an alien breaking into this woman's house. Weird. (laughs) It's more than weird, but sometimes they blur. But when you see a glowing object in the sky, you assume you're going to automatically, your brain is going to catalog it with certain things. So you're going to go, that's a UFO. So you're going to expect gray aliens. You're going to expect reptilians, Pleiadians, humanoids. We've covered stories with robots and all sorts of stuff, but there's a certain... You wouldn't expect a leprechaun to jump out of it. And if you're in a haunted house, you're expecting to see... very You know, maybe get some EVP recordings, temperature drops, stuff like that. Maybe you'll see a full-body apparition. Maybe you'll see some hot Victorian babe floating down the hallway. You would be terrified. I mean, that would terrify you too. Maybe not the babe, but... Imagine if you're in a haunted house and you're getting no EVP readings and you walk into a room and there's a gray alien peeking around the corner. Like that, because it's so unexpected, Leprechaun jumping out of UFO would just be kind of cool. But being in a haunted house to see an alien in there, it's creepy. Just the image is creepy because you can imagine the broke down old haunted house and you see that gray alien in the darkness. It's not supposed to be there. This story, it starts off with the UFO. What was the Scottish dragon? And then you start to think, was it a dragon? Like, because it scanned him, did it pick something that it thought he would be afraid of? Did it pick something that he thought he would be in awe of? Did it pick something that Terry could recognize? Instead of undulating geometric images folding upon each other, which the brain couldn't process. It chose an image that Terry could process because it scanned him. But why would it choose something so awe-inspiring that would instill him with fear? He said the sparks looked like it was hot metal being stricken at a forge. It was just pure, raw fury in the sky. And we do have it at a place, you know, going back to the whole spookiness of the place... Two, two cemeteries, a running river. That really is asking for paranormal activity. Any body, any moving body of water. If you live near a river, sorry guys, but any moving body of water does seem to attract this type of entity or this force or creates a gateway for it. Who knows why? So does this have something to do with paranormal activity at the graveyard? Does this have something to do with extraterrestrial activity? Is it both? Is it neither? I love this. I love stories that leave you questioning. Stories that have such an answer as the Alien Congress did this, and they came down to tell us to shut our nukes off. Yeah, I mean, again, I think I've become jaded. You're like Jason. That's groundbreaking. July 18th, the aliens might say that. I'll be, I'll be like, oh, boring. As the aliens are coming down, they're giving us cures, all these diseases. I'm all knocking them out of their hands. I'm like, do something weird, guys. Do something weird for my podcast. You know what I mean? Like that part of the like. Here's the thing, and I've said this before. When you listen to this podcast, this is paranormal 400. A lot of the stuff out there is 101 as far as like college classes go. 
you got you do have to learn about the Mary Celeste and the Bermuda Triangle and basic Bigfoot stuff and Roswell. That's all of a good ground game. But when I cover stuff on this podcast, and I'm not bragging about this show, this is us. This is us as a community. I'm not just saying that I do this. If you listen to this podcast, you've graduated past Roswell and Betty and Barney Hill. You know, you learn that stuff when you're younger, but when you're listening to this podcast, we cover the weirdest stuff out there. And then sometimes it just gets so weird, even for us, you just kind of got to step back and go, what is go- what is the actual event here? What is going on? When we cover the alien invasion of Casablanca, where these alien arms, these robots show up and start beating up school kids, you're like, what is this? But at the same time, we know in the lore that aliens like to interact with humans. They like to kidnap humans. They have these ships. And all of this stuff is appearing in this story. As bizarre as the story is, I'll put it in the show notes. It's one of my favorite things I've covered on this podcast. This one doesn't even have that. There's no conflict. There's no entity that we can identify. It's just a glowing orb and then a giant dragon shooting out sparks. And that's it. And the puzzling stories to me, the ones where you just go, I don't know what that is, are my favorite. They really are my favorite because you just are stuck. And you don't have all the answers. You don't have any of the answers. You don't even have the questions, really. It's just this bizarre event that happens. And that's what I love about doing this podcast is sharing these type of stories with you guys. So the next time you're looking up into the night sky waiting to see a UFO or or cutting the lock on a long-abandoned cemetery gate or, or simply staying up late in your own house trying to record an EVP, be careful. Be careful of what you look for. You may be thinking you're going to run into a run-of-the-mill ghost or see an orb in the bright sky. But you may come across something that is beyond all understanding, that breaks your brain down into a state of madness. Terry took off into the darkness, engulfed in fear. But he had three friends to chase after him, to calm him down, to keep him safe. What happens if you see something you can't explain? And every nerve ending in your body panics at the same time. You may want to know the truth. You may search the night skies for answers. But are you truly prepared to face the madness that may come with those answers? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.